This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Hey, that was a that was a odd ending to the intro, but that's cool. Hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, my name is Todd Devoe. I'm your host of the Ian Weekly Show, and I'm excited to have everybody here. And today, I have Dr. Chanel Fischetti, and we are going to discuss how the medical community is approaching COVID and the possible timelines for treatment and what's next in the steps of the battle against COVID nineteen. And so, uh, uh, Chanel is an ER doctor, is a certified chief medical officer for. Uh, I'm going to kill it, Centra Labs. It's a company that uh, does medical database and things like that, and I let her explain that a little bit more. And thousands of skilled uh, um, annotators to enable artificial intelligence in other companies and hospitals. So it's kind of cool. So right, it's in that AI uh, realm of things, technology. And you guys who listen know I like the technology stuff. It's it's really kind of cool. And, yeah, and, and she's also a, a – not only is she a working – medical doctor she also is a professor and she's joining the brigham and women's emergency department as a clinical instructor and while continuing to work at the labs and she's passionate about medical entrepreneurship and leadership of both clinical and non-clinical capacity and man how are we going to get out of this covid mess uh um I know it's so it's been crazy because I've been on both coasts now during the pandemic. I feel like I'm chasing COVID. Um, I, you know, obviously a vaccine will shorten this whole crisis in general, but I, I think realistically it's not going to be until 2021 until we get there. Um, I, and I think the hardest part honestly is health literacy of the general population. I've mm-hmm. noticed now working on both the East and West coast in the last six months, um, the, the population's hardest hit are either the, the more uneducated or the, the poorer population. So I think um, educating the public is, is going to be a huge part of what we do as healthcare providers. And I think that will help hopefully stop the spread. And I know that there have been a lot of like national and international campaigns in terms of wearing masks and washing your hands, all of that. I think that will help slow it. But ultimately, um, you know, I don't know. It it seems like at some point we'll all be exposed unless there's a vaccine just at the rate that it's going. But um, I think that being said, what I always try to do every single time I have a patient, I want to make sure that everyone knows, like, not every scenario is New York City. Mm. I, I, you know, especially where I'm at in the West Coast, I discharge 95% of my patients. So that means just because you do get COVID doesn't mean this is the worst case scenario. And that's, you know, it's, it's obviously not ideal to be sick, but that's something that I think should be reassuring also to patients that this is also an illness that people do overcome. Um, absolutely, absolutely, not ideal, yeah. but. So I, I got sick back in February, right? And mm-hmm. I, I tell the story because I think it's interesting. I, I, I not that get me getting sick was interesting, but this, this part of, so I, I went to a conference, I get back from the conference and, and I, I mean, I, I get nailed by this thing, whatever it was. Right. And I mean, and, and I have some medical background, so I kind of know what to do. I, I moved my daughter into my room. I took over her bedroom. 
Um, you, you know, I isolated myself. We kind of did that type of thing. Keep the rest of the family away from it. And, and, uh, I mean, I'm on the phone with Brian, who's the producer of the show. And he's like, dude, it's not like you're wheezing. You know, I'm like, no, I feel okay. So I finally go get checked out. And, and the doctor's like, Hey, we're just going to go ahead and treat you like this. We're going to, it's probably the flu. Um, because we could test you for flu if you want, mm-hmm. and he goes, but, but we're having all these people coming in that are sick and they're getting the same symptoms but they're not coming positive for flu. So this mm-hmm. is just, the, because we're going to give you Tamiflu. We're going to do this. And, you know, and I went out the door and I, I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, great. Were we really in COVID at that point? Do you think? I think that we've been seeing COVID for longer than what we've even been able to test for. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time when, when COVID first hit the East coast, I was working in Connecticut um, on the border of, basically New York, and then also the middle of Connecticut um, at two sites. And I mean, I'm sure I saw COVID patients. We weren't even allowed to test in Connecticut until like late March um, for it. Like the, the resources weren't available. And then there was this period where you weren't even allowed to test someone unless they told you they had come from Iran or China or Italy. And so, you know, the likelihood that I've seen patients, because I definitely did swab patients that were negative for flu, but like really sick still, um, you know, we weren't really alerted to it, at least as a healthcare um, community in terms of what we were even allowed to do until probably March. So the likelihood that people had it in January, February, even maybe December is, is very po- probable. Hmm. It's pop- probably been around a lot longer. Yeah. And, and what I find interesting about this idea here is like I, I traveled from California. I went to Daytona and then. I had an issue with a flight. There was actually a big storm came in. So the flights out of Daytona were canceled. So I drove, I rented a truck. I drove to, uh, to, to or, uh, Orlando, went to that huge airport, you know, contact. I was thinking to myself after going through like, Oh my God, all those contacts that I yeah. had through all that, you know, I mean, it, it, I always think of the movie contagion. Right. And yeah, the, and as it's a movie, everybody, we know this, Hollywood's associated with it. But I was talking to a couple of epidemiologists and they said that's a pretty spot on film as far as like the not the medicine necessarily, but the epidemiology portion of it. How how are we how can we stop the spread? I mean, one guy, myself, traveled all these places, had all these contacts, you know, I mean, outside of shutting down the economy like we did before and complete travel and have everybody stay at their home. How do we how do we how do we ring this in? Yeah. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, but, um, you know, at this point we were, we were such a globalized society and we still are, but obviously we've reduced, (laughs) reduced that within the last few months. Um, it's hard because travel technology makes it so easy now. Um, you know, and to some extent, I, I think everybody's trying to do the best they can do, you know, like wearing their masks, washing their hands, but, people are people and they still are social people and they, they want to be social. And, you know, I think people did a good job of quarantining for like two to three weeks, four weeks, sometimes depending on the state. And then people got over it and now they're like kind of trying to get back to some, whatever new normal looks like. Um, And so in that sense, you know, travel will probably pick up. People will want to be social how do you stop the spread? I mean, obviously if you didn't move at all and you just stayed in your little bubble, like <laughs> that's the most surefire way. But um, I, I mean, it, it's hard to force people to do things. 
sometimes. And, um, and not everybody does either. So I, I'm a firm believer that if you wash your hands before you touch your face or put anything to your mouth, like water or food, that's so beneficial in so many ways that I think people really underestimate. Um, right. So I, in terms of stopping the spread from that capacity, like being as clean as you can. Um, but, but I, I, I don't know. It, it's a really, really challenging disease to, to stop the spread on. For sure. Uh, I tell you, I can tell you one thing, kids to these days, like the, like my daughter and her dad, they, they're going to know how to wash her hands like anything else because she, every time she washes her hands, she does her little song. She sings the ABC song. And, you know, makes oh, that's good. And, yeah. And that, like, it kind of makes me laugh because it's a habit for her now. It's not yeah. even just like, you know, like where you just go wash your hands really quick. And, you know, I, I, I always equate it to like, I remember when I was uh, working in the medical field where we had that little light, right? Do you guys still have that? Right. The, the, oh, oh, when it like turns green and you're good. Yeah. You yeah. I haven't hands. seen those recently, but yeah, that's a good idea to probably reinstate. <laughs> yeah. Wash your hands. You got the little scrub where you got to make sure. It, yeah. So yeah, even, Hey, everybody, even, even doctors have to be reminded how long to wash your hands. Just let you know. Oh, for so. sure. For sure. <laughs> So how how can emergency management um, or public policy, for that matter, support what you guys are doing on the front lines as medical doctors? Um, well, I mean, obviously, there was a time where PPE, I mean, in, in some places, this is still an issue, but actually, probably all the places I've since worked, PPE is still an issue. Um, I, I very often recycle my masks. You know, there's at, at basically every hospital I've been at so far. Um, so PPE, you know, if, if there was more support there, health literacy is something that I spend a lot of time on with patients, with discharges. Um, you know, what does it mean to quarantine at home? What does it mean to like wash your hands every single time that you want to eat or drink? Um, and you're, you're seeing a spectrum of, you know, socioeconomic classes, educational classes. And, um, so I think if we did a better job of educating the public and I know, I know we're trying, but, um, and, and you can't, you know, say, say a blanket statement and assume that everyone's going to understand everything. But I, I've noticed that that's, that's been a big issue. The reality is, too, is that a lot of the poor communities, you know, have been very hard hit, um, you know, and, and that's definitely been brought up several times, I know, in, in various capacities that, like, the, the poor communities are getting the hardest hit partially maybe because their, their sicker baseline or didn't have the healthcare even before the pandemic, but partially mm-hmm. because they really need to work. Asking these people to take two weeks off work is, is it feels impossible to them. You know, mm-hmm. they're living in closer quarters. And so, you know, it, it's hard for those communities and it's really sad. You know, when, when you tell someone to go home and quarantine, they're like, well, I live with like six other family members. Right. Where am I supposed to quarantine in an apartment? And, um, that's, that's really difficult. Um, and I don't know how to help in that, in that sense, you know, like how do you get somebody extra space or extra housing? Um, right. And they, you know, I, I would only want to speak to the economy because it's such uncharted ter- territory. And I know that there've been different stimulus packages to help every community, right. but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to, to have to work and not, not be able to take two weeks off and, but be forced to for health reasons. I, yeah, I mean, and there's also well, not only just um, the the taking weeks off for for work, but the fact that we closed the schools down as well. Oh you know, yeah, a lot of childcare issues associated with it, and 
And then, you know, I know that when we were first talking about closing schools down and whatnot, it got into like, how do we feed the families that rely upon the school system for both their lunch and their breakfast for at least oh, totally. two meals a day? And, you know, we went through feeding processes and a friend of mine who's a fifth grade teacher, uh, he worked hard with, with getting um, uh, food, they go the go bags, right? So they made actually mm-hmm. like brown lunch bags and stuff like this. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of decisions that are being made into and, and how to make this thing work properly. And I know that, that, uh, you know, this kind of goes into also treating uh, patients um, as well. Um, I, I want to talk about masks for a second. Right. And mm-hmm. I, and it's, a, I don't know how masks became controversial, but for whatever reason they are. Um, I know that when the mask thing first started, people were going out and getting the N95 masks and, and I was, kind of wondering how that would going to work for everybody because i remember when i was in the medical field we had to do the fit testing right right right. you know you don't just slap a mask on and it works for you um and then i know we have mixed messages coming from both the federal and and state local governments for that matter that when this first started we told people no masks are only for people who are getting close contact with them that's for the medical providers don't wear masks and then somewhere along the line there was a shift and then we went from not wearing masks to recommending people to wear masks. How, first of all, what kind of masks should people be wearing if they're going to wear masks, which they should be wearing, I think. And then why, why tell, why, why is this like all this stuff coming in? Like where people go, Oh, you know, if I use the mask, I'm going to get sick from my own, you know, breath. I, I don't understand where that. Really yeah. Goes. There, I mean, uh... The media, social media, all, you know, you have to be so careful about what you read. Um, it, so I think what happened initially, and again, I'm not on the inside of any of this. This is just kind of like a bird's eye view from what I've <laughs> interpreted. But, um, you know, initially there was the concern that like we don't have enough PPE for the healthcare providers. So I think that's probably maybe where mm-hmm. the mask, the initial like we don't need the mask um, issue came up. And then also partially because like those those generic blue masks, even the fabric masks, like they'll protect you against large droplets. But the reality is, is like, unless you're wearing an N95 or, or some other like very high grade mask, um, you're still at risk for getting COVID if, if you're, you know, close enough. Um, so the, the idea then where we transition to, well, everyone now needs to wear a mask, like in the public, like when you go out to the stores was just to stop the like general droplet spread. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, I mean, you can tell, right. You have like little side t- sides to that, that like air still gets through. Um, you know, it's not going to protect you against everything, but I think the thought is like, if you protect others by your spray, um, and then simultaneously somebody else does that for you, it's more protective than nothing at all. Um, compliance with it has been, I think a hot topic, because I, I think because the medical community has been very confusing to the general public, you know, we say don't wear the masks and do wear the masks. And you have kind of some of these like s- split ideas and ideologies. Um, I, I think, you know, the reality is, is if it makes people more comfortable, if it's state mandated, you know, mm-hmm. where, where the mask, there's really no harm in wearing the mask, I, I guess. And unless you have some other like medical condition that for which, you've already discussed with your physician, but, um, you know, everyone's trying to do their part. Um, I know as a healthcare provider, you know, trying to make our jobs easier, just in the sense that like, we don't want to see you in the ER. We like, 
we would love for you to not be sick. Um, so if that means like just abiding by the state mandates or, or doing your best to protect your own self, um, that helps us because we would love to, to see you in the community and not in the ER. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know what? I mean, we, we've gone through this as we, the collective, we, as a nation, we've gone through this before, you know, world war two, everybody did their part. Right. I mean, there are people who, you know, didn't have cars. They took the, their tires off their vehicles and donated the tires to the war effort. Women didn't wear stockings, you know, because that all went to making parachutes. You know, there's stuff that we did to, to sacrifice um, um, as well. And, you know, I, I mean, I think wearing a mask is, is, uh, it's just a small thing that we could do to, to make sure everybody's kind of collectively into it. Um, we're going to take a break here uh, in a couple of seconds. And, um, but we come back, I really want to discuss um, the idea of vaccines, where we're at with them, and then why some people don't want to take them. <laughs> so, EM Weekly. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around, something you could carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission build the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients such as the FBI, the U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. SOCOM. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations Command. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user-friendly experience, such as the high-visibility interior for the users. And I'm telling you something... I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. And if you put an EM Weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Still there? Oh, you left me. You, you know, it's... Uh, I have a friend of mine who is going to be running or is running um, for the IAM um, second vice president position. His name is Brian Scroggins. And him and I, we went to the executive academy together um, over in Maryland. He's a great guy. And he's, he's actually been involved with emergency management on various different levels. Uh, he actually um, he now works as the deputy director for state and public charter schools and authority in Nevada. I work with 65 schools, 50,000 students, and he develops their operations and emergency management plans for those schools. And Brian also uh, is is really involved with volunteer organizations. And a matter of fact, he responded to the shooting in Las Vegas, if you guys remember that, uh, that shooting. And it was just an, he's an amazing guy. So I'd like to say I'm going to support Brian uh, for his uh, election for the IAEM second vice president. So, Brian, good luck. And uh, maybe we'll have you on the show sometime. So, yeah, 
it's it's a real it's you know it's kind of kind of neat i think that as as emergency managers and and the people that are really public safety minded we get involved in a lot of different things and i know that you're involved in a lot of different things as well um but i'd like to talk to you a little bit about the um vaccines so i was reading the wall street journal that there's a vaccine that looks promising um do you know much about that one um, I've seen a few uh, pop up from Moderna and I think, you know, yeah. Johnson and Johnson, every, everybody's kind of trying to, I, I think as soon as they have like some sort of progress, there's like some sort of public, like publication that gets put out like, Hey, we're, we're closer, we're closer, which is encouraging, I think to the general public, because, you know, the thought behind, okay, the vaccine will save us. And I, I think even when the vaccine is, is finally here, um, you know, it'll take some time to vaccinate everyone. It'll take some time to kind of like, even still, it, it's not going to be, I think, an immediate fix. It'll take probably some time to even get to that point where people are vaccinated enough to achieve herd immunity. Um, so, you know, I think it's all encouraging. I don't know anything more than that. I, I'm mm-hmm. not really on that side of, of things, but I look forward to the days of a, of a vaccine for sure. Yeah. I, I know that when, when this originally broke, um, and we were discussing vaccines in general. And I know that we're talking, I mean, realistically, it, it takes about 18 months um, fast. Like that's a, that's like super fast. That's like lightning speed going fast mm-hmm. for these, for these scientists to create uh, vaccines or any kind of medication at that time. And then now you have to go into human trials and stuff like this. Um, but I'm reading now on the sociological side of things that there are, specifically minority groups at this point are very suspect to being on that first round of vaccines. And there's a lot of pushback on this. Why are we seeing such a, a pushback on, on these treatments that, that might be coming out? Why are people afraid to take them? What's going on out there that's creating this fear? I, you know, I can't, I think that there's probably a lot of fake and false information out there. So I think that contributes to it. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, especially if you're not in the medical field, it's hard to piece out like what's actually real and what's not. Um, so I think that contributes substantially. And I know that, you know, various platforms are trying to kind of minimize the amount of fake news and fake information out there, but it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to even do that. There's just so, so much information. Um, I think inherently too, there's, there's, I'm sure some, some sense of maybe even mistrust uh, within the government or within the healthcare system, even in how this pandemic evolved and like the various kind of opinions about how to go, um, go even just go about the pandemic um, probably makes people a little bit more distrustful too. And so when I think it comes to vaccines, um, you know, it's, it's just another reason why people might just be more distrustful of like, okay, is this really going to work? You know, people have had varying opinions even throughout it. Like, should I trust the vaccine? Um, so, so maybe that's the thought process. I, I don't know, because obviously, you know, in general for, for all kids, you know, they basically have to be vaccinated to be part of the public school system, mm-hmm. you know, unless there's, you know, certain special cases, um, whether that's like a health condition or, or maybe for religious reasons, um, you know, but in general, most children are vaccinated. I know that, the, um, you know, there was that horrible study that was retracted, um, you know, that vaccines cause autism. I, yeah. I couldn't be a bigger promoter of vaccines. Um, 
you know, there's a reason why you don't see measles, mumps, rubella. I mean, now we are, unfortunately, because people haven't been vaccinating. Um, but, but I'm such a huge believer in that. Like, there's a reason why we don't see polio anymore. Those are horrible diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to the same extent, like when the vaccine comes out, I definitely will be getting the vaccine. I'm going to be promoting that to my, my patients and to, you know, my own friends and family. Um, but I'm, I'm a huge believer in, in vaccines, um, just because, you know, you see the other side of it, you know, from our standpoint and, you know, we've come really far as a society. Um, and, and I think that's been, been a large part of like us, you know, living longer, having better healthcare and, and health in general is, is listening to the scientific community in terms of like what's been proven. And there's a reason why these vaccines take 18 months, you know, like, it is to protect, you know, people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be a big promoter of vaccines when they come out. And I, to this day, I very much am. I, I agree with you. And I mean, I, I have to admit that I am really bad with taking my flu shot. And I, I have been, I was used to be, I was forced to do it for, <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, but, it's my thing is I just don't like getting shots in general. It's not that I'm afraid I know. of it. It's not like really keen on people sticking things into me, but um, no, I agree though. And I, I will be, if I'm allowed to be one of the, I'll, I'll be in line to, to, to get this vaccine because uh, I believe in it. And I believe that we need to do again, uh, do our part and, and uh, you know, a little bit of the, the, the herd immunity coming in here. Uh, there's a question here. How many companies are, are presenting a vaccine solution or working towards a solution? Um, I, I mean, I think realistically, I keep seeing a lot of the same names. So I, I, I would guess probably, you know, tw- at least 20 to, to 50 is my right. guess. Um, but I, again, I'm not in that area of medicine. Right. Um, I know that a lot of companies have pivoted just in general to facilitate whatever it is they can um, to combat the pandemic, whether that's vaccine formation, PPE. I mean, you have fashion companies making masks, you know, things like that. So I mean, I know Johnson and Johnson, I think I read was even, I don't know that that's even their main focus usually is our vaccines. And I think they've been involved. Um, I mean, there've been so many pivots within medicine and science. Um, so it, it's hard to say, but I know that things are definitely progressing, especially with some of the companies I've been reading about, um, you know, Oxford, Moderna. Um, Mm. so I, I think it's encouraging. I like to think that you know, January, 2021 is hopefully going to be a good month for us. I hope that. Yeah. I, I, I hope so too. You know, I really do. I mean, it's, it's, I think vaccines are scary. Right. And when I say this, it's like, not vaccines, I'm sorry. Um, diseases are scary because like, as a, you know, you, you fire, you know, you can see it, you can fight it, you can get away from it, you know, um, excuse me, you know, things like that. Right. But when it comes to something that's just in the air that you can't feel right. touch or see, it, it's kind of like you don't know what is safe and what isn't safe, you know. And 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 giving that getting that vaccine, you know, protects you from that. You know, it's kind of like putting on that suit of armor, you know, or whatever that's going to protect you. So I think it's really well worth doing it. And 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 I, I applaud the scientists that are working on creating these vaccines right now. And, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just it's a lot of hard hard work. Well, we're coming here close to the end, and I just want to talk about you for a couple seconds here. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now and some of the things that you're working on. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, while I don't work in vaccines, I, I feel like I, I feel so thankful that I, I feel like I get, I have the best jobs in the world. So, you know, I'm obviously an ER doctor. I, I treat, I intubate, I intubated someone this week, um, for COVID, but, um, I think one of the most important parts that I play just as an ER doctor is the, the health literacy and the education, because I want to reassure the public that, you know, I, I'm working currently on the West Coast. I'll be back on the East Coast soon. But um, 95% of who I see in the ER discharge and, and they do do well. It, it takes, you know, some time to get over the virus. But part of what I love about my role as an ER doctor is is. I think reassuring people that things will, will be better than I think they think um, mm. and better than what they read in the media. Um, so that, that part of my job, I love on my days off. I, I still work for my artificial intelligence company, Centaur labs, and we've been working as, as much as we can. Um, we've tied it a lot with my, my role at the Brigham that's starting here in the fall soon, but um, we're trying to help other companies and other university systems develop AI models um, to improve di- diagnostics within COVID. So that means, you know, are there things that we can catch that might be more prognostically indicative of, you know, is this patient going to do better or worse with COVID? Should we be admitting them longer? Should we be watching them longer? And so our company helps facilitate cleaning and annotating that data, like large sets of data to build out the AI models. Sure. Um, so from a researcher standpoint, um, it's been very meaningful work because I, I get to see this every single day and say, Hey, this is the reality of, of where we're at as a community in medicine. And then on my days off, I get to go and and actually like be a part of the change that we're hopefully going to impact. You know, whether that's for me on my day job, you know, as an ER doctor, like knowing which tests to, to run and to order, or you know, which patients to call back or which patients to watch more closely. Um, I love that I get to be part of both worlds from the scientific, you know, research community, but then also from the the clinical side. Um, so, I mean, I, we couldn't be more invested as a community, I think, in, in trying to beat this because we, just as much as everyone else in the public, don't want to see people in the ER with it. Um, and we, we want people to do well and, and to go back to as normal as we can as soon as possible. And so, um, I mean, you know, so many of my colleagues are also working long hours just to try to, you know, whether it's the vaccine or not trying to improve whatever we can for, for our patients moving forward um, to get back to normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we, we are definitely in a full, full court press when it comes to, to trying to beat this thing. And thank you so much for being on the front line and doing what you do. And thank you for your company doing the AI stuff. I love technology and how technology and artificial intelligence can help us make better decisions. I think that's, uh, yeah. that's really important work. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I mean, there's so many bad things about the pandemic. I think there's also so many silver linings. And I think part of it will be, you know, who who we inspire, who our children will be. Like, can you imagine being a 10-year-old right now and seeing all of this and being like, I want to be a scientist. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a NASA astronaut. You know, it, I think there will be a lot of good that comes out of it. And I think AI is part of that. You know, you've seen a lot of companies pivot and really put a lot of attention into AI. And I think that's going to facilitate a lot of technology and how that integrates within medicine moving forward. And I think that's, that's how we're ultimately going to get to the end of this as soon as possible. Absolutely. Well, doctor, thank you so much for your time today. And I know that uh, you have a lot of work to do and, and uh, thank you again for, for, for being here with us on this uh, Thursday morning. 
And hey, everybody, thank you again for also y'all being here with us, listening to what we're talking about. And don't forget, follow us on Facebook, your favorite pod, pod, uh, podcast player, YouTube, Twitter. And of course, join us next week. And as Mackenzie likes to say, stay hydrated. Thanks for having me.